0: So 38 of the Canadian Preferred Podcast, recorded October 3rd, 2019. My name is Ian, and tonight I have Yousurf Derek as lead host. I live on a small hobby farm in BC. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, CCFR field officer, and my farm is designated handyman.
1: My name is Andrew. As always, I'm a recovering libertarian. I almost did my intro for my show. That's embarrassing. I'm a recovering libertarian, competitive shooter, a firearms instructor at Ragnarok Tactical, and normally you'd find me drinking and ridiculing communists and rest of our politicians on Canadian Patriot podcast Monday nights live on YouTube at 9 p.m.
2: And I am Hughes. Um, from Canada's east coast. Uh, I am a Canadian Armed Forces veteran, as well as a current first responder. Uh, my hobbies are setting off commercial firework displays, competitive shooting, hunting, uh, and flying small single-engine planes. Uh, my love of preparedness was born out of necessity to protect my family, which includes three young children, uh, and our homestead in a rural area.
0: So setting off commercial fireworks, is, is that like job creation? <laughs>
2: uh for 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 firefighters yeah <laughs> it definitely is
0: <laughs> yeah i couldn't think of a good jet, dad joke for tonight so uh, let will have to go with uh we have some reused content for you this episode we're going to start off with some preparedness related articles then we'll let you know how we've improved our preparedness since last episode and finally we'll get into the main topic of this episode which is reloading in preparedness
2: so news Yeah, I guess I can go first. Um, So the article um, I found pretty interesting is uh, the one that's predicting a really, really cold winter here in Canada according to the Farmer's Almanac, um, kind of following uh, what's happening with the weather, especially being on the East Coast with hurricanes and all that kind of stuff, uh, and looking forward to what the winter is. And uh, so far they're saying it's gonna be a brutally cold winter uh, that's gonna drag on uh, into the uh, what we would typically have the spring months. Um, so just uh, really good to kind of think ahead and, and how you can better prepare yourself knowing that the temperatures are gonna be probably brutally cold this winter.
0: Trying to figure out how they always get that so accurate with a farmer's almanac.
2: I know. It's scary. Farm,
0: farmer voodoo. Um, for myself, I got an article on Hong Kong right now. I guess for the first time, uh, the police actually started using live ammunition on protesters. Uh, so things are continuing to go downhill there. Uh, don't hear much about it in mainstream press, though. Surprised was even covered in MSN there. But interesting. Say at least. Uh, injured hiker left behind. So, uh, on my side of the country, I left a news article in the show notes here. It was actually kind of funny. They uh, had a group of people go out hiking. One person got injured, so they thought, well, they're slowing us down too much, so let's just leave them behind. So, <laughs> they left a, an injured hiker alone on a trail and went home. And so, a good lesson on what not to do. They, um, yeah, so basically uh, somebody had to come across them later on and you know, help them get help later on. Cause they didn't even have a cell phone with them or anything.
2: Pretty awesome. I don't understand how you would leave anybody behind. I mean, you know, if you, if you, if you have to leave somebody to go get help, um, you know, I, I could understand that, but you know, to leave them and just go home and you know, it's cool. That's uh, <laughs> well, you, you I, need, I think you need some new friends there. <laughs>
0: Well, especially with like, if there's a group of them, why would they leave one person with a cell phone, maybe a blanket right. behind and then right. the rest of you can go get help and go home or whatever. But right. I mean,
2: you know, divide yeah. and conquer. There's four of you one person stays with the injured hiker and two others, you know, go out and seek help. But yeah, that's, uh, that's a little crazy.
0: Yeah. It's pretty surprising when I read that, especially out here. It's like, they think these people are hiking down pat out here, but I guess not. Anyway, do hey, you have anything you want to cover off,
1: Andrew? No, thank you.
0: Right on, uh, lately for preps, uh, don't have a sponsor right now,
2: but uh take it away. Sure, um, so we were here on the East Coast uh, in Nova Scotia, we were hit pretty badly with uh, Hurricane Dorian. Uh, it actually made direct landfall about 30 kilometers away from where I live. Uh, so that affected our, uh, our region pretty badly. Uh, we were out of uh, electricity for three days. Um, so I've uh, been working on replenishing the fuel stocks, um, as well as maintenance being performed on both of the generators, which ran uh, pretty much 24-7 for the duration of the power outage um, and the chainsaws, because we cleared a lot of uh, dead trees and fallen trees um, in around the property and for some neighbors as well. Um, I've also been doing some cold weather preparedness, um, so that's been underway with uh, packing in some extra cold weather gear in both of our family vehicles, my truck and my wife's van, um, as well as uh, repacking um, my get-home bag, which I keep in a truck uh, with some season-appropriate gear. Uh, I've also uh, done some enhancements to uh, my home network uh, because during the power outage, um, although I did have power, um, the uh, the local um, ISP did not have power for the switches in the area. so. Um, I was out uh, for the count uh, when it comes to internet, so I've added some UPSs for all the communication equipment, which is the modems, switches, routers in the house, um, as well as a cellular modem through Bell uh, for an added backup uh, and redundancy to the uh, to the fiber optic uh, internet that's coming into the house, just so we don't lose comms. And that's what I've done. But now you make me feel like a slacker. <laughs> well, so. that was for the last that was for the last month now, not the
0: last week. So. That's true, I guess. But yeah, actually, it was pretty awesome when we were uh, watching some of your video there from the the hurricane roll through. There's a lot of trees down, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on for sure.
2: Yeah, and uh, for some people, didn't have their power restored uh, for eight days. Um, so we're lucky that we're on um what's considered like a secondary highway um so it's it's a major thoroughfare for emergency vehicles and all that kind of stuff so um the grid that we're on typically gets restored pretty quickly after um the hospitals and all that kind of stuff but uh some people were out for eight days uh which is pretty bad um hurricane one in 2003 uh some people were out of power for 19 days was the longest um which i mean 20 days without power that's i mean you you know it's like third world third world country type stuff right so
0: yeah it's getting a little ridiculous at that point uh as for myself uh pretty much absolutely nothing done for preparedness i've been working lot. i haven't really been home a whole lot but luckily i do have some vacation coming up and my hunting trip coming up soon so um I, know, I basically just wrote some podcast material here i am
1: andrew so i went through reorganized all of our long food uh long-term food storage and all of our ammunition storage and I've also decided to upgrade my uh, my long-range game. I'm putting together a new precision rifle. So I got a, an, ultimatum, an ultimatum precision deadline action with a, a 308 barrel from International Barrels. And just waiting on my chassis and some other parts to come. You know, key components, triggers, muzzle brakes, grips, etc. Uh, and then I'll have a new precision rifle for next year. Or, okay. you know, any other activities that require me to invalidate a target at a reasonable distance. <laughs> excellent
0: and the iba that's uh, a baby chill out here is it
1: it is it's my favorite bc brand of barrel it's uh it's organic it's vegan <laughs> it's yeah. free range yeah. It's made by Ryan's free,
0: I it. yeah i guarantee it's antibiotic free too so anyway so other than that i guess it's time to move on to the main topic of the show uh so obviously uh we're at episode 38 now, and uh, we haven't touched on firearms stuff yet. Uh, it was kind of intentional we, when we first started the podcast. Didn't really want to get into firearms right off the bat because it's kind of a bit of a stereotype with the preparedness thing. So uh, anyways, like uh, Nat Geo, common sense does dictate that we should not be the primary focus of preparedness firearms, although it's a fun part of it. It's a part of it. So uh, for next month, uh, we're going to have about three or four episodes based on uh, firearms related stuff. So, uh, this will be part one, and uh, we might end up breaking this one into two parts. We'll see how it goes. And so, this is for people who don't know anything about reloading. We're going to assume you guys uh, are just starting from scratch. And uh, other than that, if we generalize and skip some stuff for guys that are further along, just uh, bear with us. We'll get back to the uh, more precise stuff later on. If that makes sense. So, guys, why are we talking about this?
2: Financials, um, I mean, it makes sense um, to reload, especially some commonly, uh, I mean, for me, I I reload um, uh, right right now two, sorry, three calibers. So nine mil, uh, which I shoot a lot of in competition for both for training and for competition. Um, Five, five, six as well, which I shoot in uh, competition. Uh, and then 308, so uh, over the course of the last couple of months, I've really stepped up my long-range game, um, and I was buying uh, match ammunition, which was about $2 a round, so I decided to start loading it, uh, which uh, was was a lot cheaper, and I'm able to control the quality as well. So, um, I mean, we could probably list off a slew of benefits when it comes to reloading, but really it comes down to uh, cost for me, um, as well as quality control uh, for the ammunition that uh, is being produced as well. Those are the two big things that that really come to mind, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess uh, more shooting per dollar spent, uh, or at least more uh, consistent ammunition than anything else. Does that mean you actually shoot more, Andrew, or are you you know save money?
1: I spend the same amount of money, but I get to shoot more for that, and I'm I'm okay with that trade off.
0: <laughs> actually, it's kind of funny. I got into this because of uh, the Obama administration when they start doing their their uh, threats of uh, with gun confiscations and there's a big mass panic down for ammunition down the States. Uh, we got affected by that quite a bit. Uh, I think even now 22 is still ridiculously expensive because people are still trying to hoard it. But, uh, I was kind of stuck with a couple of ammunition shortages. So I just had to get into my own reloading and that, uh, is certainly way around any sort of panic buys or ammo shortages.
1: I mean, yes and no. I don't know if you remember about 2000 and I want to say it was 15 or so. There was a period where I just couldn't get powder for anything.
0: Yeah, see, we were lucky because Cabela's just opened up here right around then and they had a full stock of everything. So I was able to snatch up quite a bit of stuff. So.
2: I think I found no when when you mentioned um, do I shoot more because I reload. I think for me the answer was no. But if you look at prior to me reloading my own ammunition, I was going between I was going through probably between thousand to fifteen hundred rounds a month uh, for nine mil. Um, so I haven't I haven't doubled that amount. It's just that uh, the cost savings now. Um, are, are ridiculous, right, because I'm still going going through anywhere from, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 rounds a month for 9 mil alone. Um, so the cost savings that are being realized by me reloading that ammo are pretty significant. And at the same time as well, when you reload your own ammo, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, so I don't necessarily pop off rounds for the fun of it now. I, I I really appreciate the time and effort that it takes to actually make your own ammo. Um, so I'm a lot more diligent um, when I'm, when I'm at the range, um, not playing around as much. Um, but yeah, that's just for, for me. Um, I'm just in it kind of like for the cost savings as well, but I'm still shooting the same amount as I was when I was buying a uh, commercially made bulk ammo.
0: Cool. And stockpiles are fun, right? One less thing to worry about for the, uh, the Stockpiles
1: are fun. That, that <laughs> right. actually made my family's, uh, what do you call it? New year's resolutions, I guess. Our, our goals for this year was to stock up three years worth of reloading supplies Wow. Nice. Yeah, I'm so, not going to yeah. say we made that goal necessarily, but I mean, I do have enough powder that I probably should register a magazine with the government. Uh, that's a noble goal,
0: though. <laughs> I it.
1: But I mean, like if MNR wants to come and check that and make sure that I need an explosives permit, I mean, I'm game. Let's do this.
0: Well, actually, I think we worked it out one time, wasn't it? It was like uh, to actually exceed the limitations, you'd have to have enough powder for thousands of rounds but i don't i don't want you to confirm or deny that i'm just saying like
1: i mean uh, allegedly it, it was,
2: it was uh, very actually, generous. Um, oh sorry you you go ahead Ian. sorry
0: that's actually well it's very generous what they do allow you to keep at home so i mean it's in, it's in the measured in the kilos for sure so uh, which is good
2: yeah and i actually checked with my insurance uh because like i carry commercial liability insurance when i do uh fireworks um and i do store uh fireworks in my um in my shed here on my property prior to a show and the insurance, I was asking them how much, um, how much gunpowder I can store at home or how much they're willing to insure the home, uh, that I'm storing. And they basically said, it's, it's hundreds of pounds. Like there's no, there's really no limit to, to what they see as being too much. So that's kind of interesting from an insurance uh, perspective, I guess. <laughs> um,
0: well, we, we mentioned the IBI barrels being environmentally friendly. So, uh, if you do have any green buddies that kind of give you the second glance, they're mentioning reloading. It's like you are reducing and reusing with your brass. So, um, hey, it's green friendly too, right? All right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, um, before you take our advice, guys, if you're watching this, uh, stop around, double check what we're telling you. Uh, YouTube is your friend, right? I mean, there's tons of videos out there on any aspect of reloading that is probably more precise than what we're going to give tonight. Um, I guess it's up to you guys to decide if the time savings or cost savings is, you know, worth it or most important to you. Just uh, or email us or Andrew or anybody else. It's uh, the information's out there, right?
2: Yeah. And I just want to to point out as well. I mean, there's been some really good deals lately. um, And this is in Canada, certain online retailers here in Canada are selling um, like bulk packs of nine millimeter, nine millimeter, like 2000 rounds for $400 shipped. Um, And when you kind of do the math on that, it's, it's basically almost the same price to buy that commercially produced bulk ammo as it is to make my own ammo. Um, So that, sometimes when you consider the cost um, of the equipment that's needed for reloading, um, as well as your time that goes into it, um, that's really gonna be factored into it. So you, so you gotta look at the cost per round of what it takes to make your own ammo, and then look at the cost per round of acquiring that that commercially produced bulk ammo. Unless you're looking for something like match ammo, um, then you're definitely gonna see some cost savings by rolling your own. But uh, when it comes to the bulk stuff, sometimes the prices are right in line with um, uh ammo that you really reload your,
1: yourself so you have to look at those prices as well well yeah your time's worth it, money right well yeah, exactly yeah working working our fallacy thing in there though if your time is worth money you have to be do, doing something to earn that income if you're just going to be sitting at home drinking beer and watching tv it would be more profitable for you to reload
0: that's true <laughs>
1: i agree with that but i think at the same time there's only so many i mean you know with three
2: young kids and and being um you know having a full-time job and doing other things as well there's only so many hours i can dedicate to my hobbies um and you know if i'm if i'm gonna say let's say i can do like 20 hours a month towards my hobbies if 10 of those are spent reloading and you know the cost of the ammo was virtually the same for the bulk commercially pre- produced stuff. Um, I can put those ten hours towards other preps, right? So I agree with you that if you're just going to sit on your couch and drink drink beer, then that <laughs> then your your time is not worth that much at that point. Um, but when some schedules are stretched pretty thin, I think it makes sense to look at uh, really closely at, at what what your time is worth when it comes to comparing to the uh, reloading, comparing to buying the uh, commercially pre-, pre produced stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just don't like when there are people that get into that argument, well, I make forty two dollars an hour and I could right. well yeah, but you have to actually be working and making them if you're doing something else then your 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 time is only worth so much money when you're not actually producing an income. So yeah, hundred percent of your kids are working on other preps, yeah, that all makes sense. But if you're, you know, sitting on your couch drinking beer and watching T V, you could probably doing be doing something more productive.
0: All right. Yeah, unless you're doing actual dedicated overtime that's going straight to reloading or straight to ammunition costs, then I guess it's yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, so rainfire ammunition, we won't be talking about that tonight because that can't be reloaded because of the way the primer is set up in the actual brass. Plus, it's such a cheap little price per round, it's not really worth your uh, your effort. I think, uh, but yeah, it can't be reloaded at all. Shotgun ammo uh, for like shotgun shells, it's actually harder to reload than cartridges because there's an extra step involved. So I think we'll skip that one for tonight as well. Um. yeah so as far as this goes it, it turns into a secondary hobby pretty fast
1: doesn't it it does and I, I mean it's it's like anything else, else with firearms right it's, it's sort of what you make it it's as complicated as you want it to be and it's as, as much time involved in as you want it to be yeah for sure right? um, you don't have to go out and start neck turning brass it'll make better brass but it's not a thing that you need to do
2: Right. And it all depends, I think, what, what you're going after, right? um like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I'm, I'm doing nine mil, five five, six, and three oh eight. Um and the three oh eight, um, I'm basically creating match ammunition. So I'm using the highest quality components for everything. Um I you know, I, I really am a lot more diligent when I'm reloading that ammo um than when I uh than than when I'm reloading, you know, the nine millimeter which I use for for plinking all day, right? Um so so I think there's a difference there. If you're loading just to get some cheap uh, bulk ammunition for plinking, or if you're looking to get some some match ammunition for long range stuff, right?
1: Yes. Can I can I ask you about your 308? Because I'd I'd like to compare notes. I also reload for 308 for precision. Yeah, for sure. So what what are you what are you looking at? Cost per round reloaded versus what you would be shooting equivalent factory. Uh, so the factory match ammunition was about two dollars
2: around. I think it came up to about a dollar ninety-seven around, um, and the match ammunition that I'm reloading, I'm about a dollar two around. So I'm doing about ninety-five cents savings um, compared to the factory match ammunition. Um, and I'm actually I've been experimenting. Um, what I'll do is I'll, is I'll typically do I'll do 20 rounds um, with a certain amount of powder, certain type of bullet, um, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then um, I'll I'll go to the range, I'll test those those out. I'll typically bring like two or three different types of rounds that I've made, bring those out to the range, um, fire them in groups of five, and see what I'm getting for results. And then um, once I found the round that 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 work well, or a combination that works well, um, that's what I stick. With, but it was a lot of trial and error at the beginning to see what, what my gun liked, how well it was per, per, performing at what distances. Uh, like right now, the range that I'm at only uh, allows me to fire up to 500 yards. Um, so that's the maximum distance that I can fire up to um, at that range. So it was really a trial and error to find um, the best the best way to produce a bullet at home uh, or around round at home that would work well on my gun.
1: Yeah, the, there's, there's a lot that goes into, especially with PR, there's a lot of rabbit holes to go down. I'm uh, I'm doing a little better than 50% savings. Uh, I load 155 Lapua CINRs, uh with Lapua brass, and uh, as long as I get at least five fr- five firings out of a case, my cost is under a dollar ten. Around uh, the factory Lapua equivalent, the 155 CNR and a 308 is uh, 280 for me to go and buy. So wow, yeah, it's expensive. significant. Well, yeah, but premium finish ammo, right, right.
0: Well, even my hunting rounds right now. So I mean, you know, I'm probably getting my hunting rounds put together for an easy, easy sixty cents round, and you're talking over two bucks round for the same exact same ammunition, factory made.
1: Well, and hunting ammunition is one of those things where you can save a lot of money. Hunting ammo is expensive, and I think a lot of that has to do with the projectile rather than the actual cartridge. Oh yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
0: And so So we see uh, the the
1: same thing in.
2: But also to me, like um, the hunting ammunition, like I use a seven mm Rem Magnum um, as my hunting rifle. I've used that that rifle for like twelve years now. Um, you know, I probably fire five to ten rounds a year out of that gun. Um, you know, I'll go to the range, I'll sight it in, which takes me probably three or four rounds um, every year. Um, and then you know, I usually take one deer a year, um, which is one round, right? Maybe two. Um, so to me, uh, reloading seven mil magnum is just not worth my time. I mean, just buying the die, the 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 die set wouldn't, wouldn't be worth worth it because um, you know I can buy commercially produced ammo, um, you know, at twenty dollars or thirty dollars a box, and that's going to last me uh, probably two or three years, right? So.
1: Yes, it's totally a volume game. How yeah. long it's going to take to get that ROI on on the equipment, which I think is a big part of it that people overlook when they get into reloading is is what is the you know the startup cost, what's your setup cost to get a press and dies and your initial run of components and all of these things and how much ammo would that be worth if you just go open buy a case of nine mil? Right, and I think too, um,
2: you know, I've I've had some friends that have made the mistake of buying the cheapest press that they could find, thinking that you know if I if I do like it, I'll upgrade to the next one. Um, but then you end up eating a loss on that smaller press. And then you, you know, you put some of those funds towards the bigger press, but then that bigger press costs you significantly more than if you would just spot <laughs> that press to begin with. Um, so I'm not saying to go buy you know, the biggest, baddest automatic deal billion that, that you could find. But, um, I think you really have to do your, your research here and find somebody at your local gun club. Hopefully that, you know, is a reloader and ask him, you know, ask him questions, ask him if you could just, you know, see how he does it for like an hour. A lot of these people, um, are, you know, are more than willing to to show you how to do it, uh, and and help you through it. And that that's how I learned. I found some somebody at my gun club that was a re- reloader, um, and he kind of ad- advertised his services as far as you know. If you guys want to get into it, to it, come come over to my house. You know, I'll show you how to do it. Ask questions and all that kind of stuff. And to me, um, that was worth more than than you know any YouTube video or reading anything, right? So,
0: yeah, yeah. So it guy wants to i got a guy locally who wants to come and learn as well. It's actually a range kind of a mutual day, but no, it's, it's actually because I've yet to see somebody that wasn't willing to share their knowledge or whatever, even if you run into them at the range, or you know talk about reloading stuff when you're sitting there uh, shooting away as well. But, uh, you can spot the reload a mile away with reusable cartridge cases too, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we talked about long distance accuracy around in the hunting rounds, but uh, the nice thing is you can also, when you reload, you can do the reduced loads for newer shooters um, so if you're doing a short distance, you just want to get a newer shooter used to the rifle. Um, yeah, some uh, some cases down the states they do subsonic ammo for their suppressor use down there. Uh, general rule of thumb, I guess, the larger the caliber, the more savings could be had. So if uh, you're not going to get a whole lot of savings, they sit on bulk two two three. But if you're going to go and either do like F class shooting with two two three, or you know larger precision rifle stuff, it's, you're going to have a better savings.
1: Well, there even the guys. That- you don't Go even ahead. have to get into F class. So if you look at service rifle, um, the rounds that I was shooting in nationals, I have a clone of what is effectively Hornady Black. Uh, that's twenty four bucks for a box of twenty. My reloading cost is a hundred or as a dollar twenty a round for r- equivalently the same ammo as seventy five grain Hornady boat tail hollow point over Varget in range pickup brass, like pickup IVI brass, and I'm under fifty percent. Yeah, that was that's fantastic.
0: Really yeah. So yeah, but I guess if we're gonna go out and get something like massive 50 going here and after reload. But start smaller. Yeah. <laughs> <please. laughs>
1: yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's way easier to save money on on the bigger calibers and especially like yeah. oddball calibers or things that are harder to come by. Eight millimeter Kurtz looking at you.
0: Or even eight millimeter Mauser nowadays. Like if you just get a regular old Mauser. Um, that is one of those things where it's worth your while to reload if you want to plink away with some iron-sided uh, old Mauser, right?
2: Yeah, and I found as well, um, when it comes to saving money, um, the range that I go to, there's a lot of people that go there, they fire 9 mil and... Two through three all day. Um, they pick up their brass, they dump it in a brass bucket, and that's it. So the the range says anyone is willing, you know, who's willing to take that that brass is it's yours for the taking. So I'll take the entire bucket and I'll spend you know entire nights just going through it and sorting it all out by brand and 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 all that kind of stuff. And I can tell if it's if it's a factory fresh uh, casing or if it's been re- reloaded before. So you know, there's significant cost savings to be done there as well because I, I don't have to purchase that brass new. I don't have to purchase the ammunition new. Fire it and then uh, reload it after that, right? So the fact that I can get free brass for nine mil and, and, and two to three is, is just amazing as far as the cost save, savings as well. We you can even resell
0: some of the stuff too on, uh, if you go on and Goodnets, uh, some people on getting good nuts. People selling stuff, and you know, nine miller brass goes for what three cents around, but you know, two, two three you can.
2: That's why I, I make were... my little bags of. Uh...
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, seriously, yeah. because people will collect bottles off the side of the road for five cents a piece, and you can sell the same same brass for five cents a piece. I mean, what is. Move right and you can get hundreds and hundreds of nine mil brass
2: and um, that's what i was doing there for a while is that i was going to the range um i was stopping by the range every every two weeks or so collecting these five gallon buckets of brass coming home and sorting it all out and i basically had these milk crates full of these giant ziploc bags of 556 five, and 223 and 40 and 45 to the point where i'm like you know what i'm this is a lot of brass i'm probably not going to use all of this so i started basically putting up um just just uh, ads at the at, at my local gun gun club to see if anybody wanted, wanted to buy brass and i was selling for like 25 30 bucks a bag so i mean
0: yeah helps pay for the hobby real fast yeah exactly so i guess because actually to the actual reloading just make sure you uh Focus on safety and accuracy, quality work is, uh, is key, you don't want to make too many mistakes and have to unload the brass uh, manually. Uh, you can always work on your speed later on. So uh, moving along, uh, I guess we'll talk on most of your points there later on, Andrew.
1: Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, for sure.
2: That's so a, like, that's a good point that you just made though, Ian, because I found myself on time I was reloading nine mil. Um, and after I seeded the bullet, I, I questioned how much powder I actually put in the rounds. Um, and I didn't want to find out by firing that round. So actually, I actually ended up taking some rounds apart and I didn't feel comfortable only taking a few as a sample. Um, so I ended up throwing out the whole batch. Um, and it's because I, I was, something had distracted me loading the powder. Um, and I just wasn't comfortable using that ammo or even giving that ammo to to anybody. Um, so I ended up, I ended up destroying all of the ammo, but that's, that's because of a small inattention at the beginning of my reloading, uh, hobby. So, yeah. That's, you just really have to be careful, careful right? Get rid of any distractions. Um, you know, I only do it when the kids are in bed or the kids aren't home, so they can't come into the garage and distract me. And then I come back and I forgot where I am, right? So, yeah.
0: Well, actually that, that brings up the good point. Like pistol brass is the one thing that's, it's very easy to get a double charge in there or like an overcharge situation where you can actually blow up your hand or your gun and, uh, or
2: both. Right, right. <laughs> You know, there's a story of uh, somebody at my at my range a few years ago that actually uh, he ended up using um, uh, fast-burning pistol powder um, in a rifle round, um, and he did that accidentally. Uh, he put in the right amount of powder, but it was the wrong type of powder, uh, and he basically ended up um, blowing the re- the receiver part on his uh, rifle on his uh, rifle. So, it's little things like that as well, right? So. Yeah, I mean, the, uh,
0: so the case volume, I mean, with rifles, you can't, it's pretty hard to put double the amount of powder without spilling all over the place. And, you know, you're going to know you screwed up then, but a pistol is kind of a little bit tricky there. But uh, right. you're yeah, basically making a small-scale pipe bomb, so just make sure you pay extra attention to the uh, the critical components there. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I guess we'll just talk about the step-by-step process so we can kind of work our way through it, I guess. So uh, yeah. rifle and pistol cartridges have four main components. Uh, the actual bullet, or the projectile, uh, the gunpowder you put in, the primer that sets everything off, and the actual brass case. So we mentioned the brass before. It's it's the only reusable part of the the actual cartridge. The rest we have to source elsewhere, um, and you know, pay for basically. So as far as uh, to get going on reloading, we talked about brass. So Finding your brass is uh, is a bit of a thing, so if we can be range trash pandas. I'm guilty of that as well, like <laughs> quite often. Uh, start scouring through the garbage looking for everything else. These have a brass dedicated brass bucket at each range, but that's not always the case. Um, you can go and Canadian gun nuts and buy once-fired brass. Uh, hopefully, it is just been fired once. But um, if you're a beginner, I, I wouldn't say it's not it's not worth your time buying new brass from Cabela's because uh, they charge a little bit of you have for that.
1: Um,
0: but there is yeah, actually- the
1: only the only time that it's worth to buy brand new brass if you is if you're hand loading for precision or if you can't get the brass yeah all right
0: and but usually I mean if you're anywhere in Canada somebody will ship it to you for sure because it's not dangerous goods uh, just to ship brass around so I mean uh, there's a guy on on uh, uh, gun owners of Canada as well named bogey. And he's, he's actually raising money for children's charity. He goes around and he does the trash panda thing. He cleans it all up for you. And then he ships you specific calibers for a really discounted price. And it all goes, uh, the money he raises cause he's a retiree. He just is killing time. So he's, uh, setting stuff off to do a, uh, kids charity with sales proceeds, which is kind of good. Um, yeah. So wear gloves when you're at the range. Uh, there's lead stiffnate on the actual brass itself. Uh, not to mention lead dust, depending on your projectiles. Uh, so basically wear some protective gear when you're playing with it, or don't lick your fingers afterwards.
2: It's so a good, point like, that, yeah. um, good point that Andrew made as well. The only time I've ever brought uh, bought brass is uh, was for the precision stuff, and I ended up buying uh, Lapua brass, because I know that I can reload nice. like four or five times, um, as opposed to the Remington brass, which maybe I'll get like two two reloads out of it right so um it is more expensive but it's worth it um and you'll definitely get your money's worth out of it so
0: so if you want to fast forward 30 minutes to this video um and save yourself the, the brass processing time uh black sheet brass in canada does sell uh, pre-processed brass which is already to be reloaded which means that they've, they've gone through the, all the uh, the steps of, of brass prep uh you'll pay a little more but again if you're you don't have the time to do this. It's, it's maybe worth your while to buy pre-processed brass. as cheaper than buying factory new brass. Just a thought out there anyway.
2: Yeah, it makes sense.
0: So step one, however you get your brass, uh, once you have it, you're going to have to clean it. So uh, cleaning your brass involves sending it through either a tumbler uh, of the corncob or walnut media type or the stainless steel pins type. Um, everybody's got their preference, right? But uh, the cheaper version of the two, I guess, would be the corncob media type. Basically, just vibrates and uh, vibratory tumblers, right?
1: The one thing I would caution with this: I have a number of friends who have elevated lead lead levels. I would not recommend using a vibratory tumbler to clean brass in your home. Put that crap outside where you can't breathe it in. Lead dust gets on everything; it contaminates everything. It's not pleasant. No one wants heavy metal poisoning. Yeah, do this in your house.
0: Yeah, one of the guys that was going to be on the show tonight, unfortunately, couldn't make it. But, uh, yeah, he's got some lead, leveled, uh, lead levels that he has to deal with as well. So, if you're going to use these vibratory tumblers, yeah, put it outside. Um, make sure you take care of your media. Treat it with, you know, protective gear, like, uh, you know, a dust mask, gloves. Uh, keep their media clean. You can reuse it as well. But, uh, yeah, you definitely get hit the nail know that one. The stainless steel pins version uh, is... Vastly more expensive for setup, but it is the stainless steel pins are pretty much reusable. And definitely, I've never used it myself. But um, all it does is basically use water and pins, and then you can just dump out the water and keeps the dust down for sure, right?
1: So I am, uh, I am of both. I use both. I have used corn cob media for years in an apartment, which was not a great idea because I was young and I didn't know any better. So I'm telling you now, don't don't (laughs) be like me back then, too, right? Well, enough beer, and I must <laughs> still believe that. P.S. Sorry to whoever moved into my old apartment.
0: I mean, yeah. So, you, so you can uh, you can clean up the media, but you just sort of basically it out the pillowcase. Uh, I use some simple green on it, and it is actually fairly reusable. It, it eventually you'll go through it, but.
1: You will. Um, I would. I would recommend making the investment into going into stainless steel tumbling. Stainless steel does result in cleaner brass, and you don't have to deal with the elevated level lead levels that come from the lead dust on everything. So, with stainless steel media, you're you're doing it in water. The stainless steel pins get rinsed and put back into the tumbler, and you're just separating the media the same as you would with dry. The only difference is that you're separating. Brass and pins from water, whereas you're separating brass and corn cob. Yeah. That's a good point. Yep.
0: So, once your brass is cleaned up, I guess also before we forget with the stainless steel, you're going to have to make sure it gets dried thoroughly before you start to, moving on to the process versus the corn cob. It's relatively dry to
1: start with, right? I mean, allegedly, but <laughs> I've not seen it be a problem. It's stainless steel, like, just don't yeah. store it in water. Yeah, no, it's I not mean like, like a thing that you have to lay out to thoroughly you dry. Mean, just- you mean the brass, right? No, I meant the brass.
2: Yeah, so I've actually um, made use of an old food dehydrator. Um, I just put all the brass on on the racks. There's eight racks, so it's eight cubic feet worth of um, space. Uh, put all the brass in there, and I turn it on to, I think it's like 160 degrees Fahrenheit for like an hour, and then you've got nice, warm, dry brass. I mean, it's a quick and easy way to do it. Be better? Don't, guys- don't put it in your oven. Your wife doesn't like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, no, your wife doesn't like that. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. So, once you source your brass, you've got to move on to the actual brass prep itself. Um, so, if you're going to need a, a press to get started with the process. Uh, presses come in single stage or progressive. So, I guess we got to tackle those definitions as well.
1: Yeah. So think- uh, that's easy. So, single stage. Every time you move the arm on the press, the, the working components of the press, it does one step. Brass goes up, brass comes down. On a progressive press, every time you work the arm, however many stations are on your press, all of the pieces of brass do one step and then move on to the next one in a semi-automated fashion. Fully semi-automatic sounds <laughs> know, like a get, liberal term. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and once you get going on that, of course,
0: every time you pull the arm on the progressive press, it's like a slot machine that always pays, right? It's always cranking out a completed round once you get up exactly, to speed. And, yeah. which is nice. Uh, so.
1: The one thing that's worth mentioning with this is, there is a there's a middle press. There's a turret press where you can manually index the dies on the top of the press but you're moving a single piece of brass at a time, whereas on a progressive, you're moving multiple pieces of brasses through many stations. Yeah. I I, a generally lot discourage. The,
0: generally discourage,
1: sorry? Uh, I, was, I would generally discourage the use of a turret press. It, it, it's simpler to either use a single stage, because it's super simple. You do one thing at a time, or you go to progressive and you do all the steps at the same time on multiple pieces of brass. Turret presses don't in my mind, serve a lot of purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: no, I agree with that for sure. I mean, it, the nice thing about the progressive is that once you get up uh, everything, all the stations are filled, you know, it, it turns out to be less pulls of the handle for per round completed, but the single stage is definitely, I'd say, you know, easier and more intuitive to start up with. And so I think as a beginner, uh, doing rifle press especially, just a single stage is probably the way to go, I would think.
1: So my opinion, get a single stage press because you're going to use it for stuff Anyway, it's not a thing that's gonna sit idle. So even if you're gonna do high volume reloading of like pistol brass or two two three that you can do on a progressive, still get a single stage because you're still going to find there's stuff that you need to deal with off of the progressive press, and a single stage is the right place to do that, unless you have a second progressive press, in which right. case donuts. Yeah. I've got I've got a single stage
2: and a progressive, and I use the progressive for 9mm and 5.56, and I use my single stage, which is what I sh- originally started off with, um, for reloading to 308 uh, pre- precision stuff. Uh, but I agree with Andrew that there's things that you can do on these on the single stage. Um, so if you have both, you know they're not like as Andrew said they're not going to sit idle. You're definitely going to find a use for for them. So, uh,
0: so I got yeah. the same the- setup as you, use.
2: Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know go ahead andrew sorry
1: i was gonna say the the single stage is probably easier for a new person to manage as it's the you're only dealing with one thing at a time versus on the progressive where depending on the brand of progressive you're dealing with between what five and seven things happening at the same time right well yeah and you really have to that's... keep an eye
2: out for all of the stages right and you have to keep an eye out to make sure that you don't run out of powder or anything like that too right those are working mistakes but it happens
0: or in certain versions you can worry about that double charge in the pistol rounds too, right? We're right? paying attention to which which stage you're at for as far as pulling the handle, it, it is a, a pitfall for sure. But uh, also with the single stage, because uh, you know, you're going most likely rifle on that one, you're gonna see the cost savings, I guess, right away versus the pistol, which is a smaller cost savings, depending on
1: what you're doing, I guess. I I guess that's the other thing that's worth mentioning is with single stages. There is a theory amongst reloaders that a single stage can be a more accurate read repeatable solution because of less moving parts and tighter tolerances because you're only dealing with a single ram and a single set of uh, single set of linkages uh-huh. so i don't know how much i buy into that because i've seen single stage lead presses that wobble all over the place where i've seen dylan 550s that don't wobble at all so i'm i'm not sure how much i believe in the whole single stage being more repeatable more accurate but Definitely easier to deal with one action at a time versus, you know, five to seven, depending on your brand of progressive press. That's oh, a good yeah. point,
2: Andrew. And I, I think I think I've got that mentality because the the Dylan single stage press that I have, um, I find that and maybe it's just a mental game, but I find there's more repeatability um and more consistency in it than the progressive stage uh, or than than the per progressive um press.
1: Um, yeah, it could I be a mental in, game, in general, right? But yeah. It makes sense, less moving parts. It should be more repeatable, but I think it, I think it's going to vary a lot by manufacturer. Your uh, your low end, cheapy, cheap Lee versus your more expensive single stage Dillon. I think the Dillon's going to win all day, but like your progressive Dillon is probably also more consistent than your single stage Lee. It's just right. a pricing thing, right? Right. Yeah, right. you
0: get what you pay for, no matter what. I guess with the brands, we should talk about that quickly too. Like at the bottom end, like you mentioned, there's Lee uh in your well, I,
1: way I don't know that it's necessarily fair to call them the bottom end they're just the less expensive option right there's still a lifetime warranty on them. You definitely yeah, get what still,
2: you pay for when it comes to reloading stuff. You
0: Yeah you get what you're you pay still for. gonna get uh decent value for money but I mean yeah they've all I think pretty much all of them have lifetime warranties or at least a uh, reduced cost warranties like usually they'll send you a lot of stuff under warranty like even R C B S all of them but uh, like I said so quote unquote bottom Lee uh, I work at like Hornady. There's uh, Lyman, uh, RCBS. Then there's uh, uh, Dylan. Then there's, of course, at the very top, there's the Reading, I guess. But nobody, I don't know anybody that has Reading stuff nowadays.
2: I don't know anybody
1: no. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say the popular, the pro- popular progressives are probably Dylan's. Although yeah. we're a Hornady house, and we we use Hornady where I live. But, but I Dylan as well I think is the popular progressive.
2: Um when you mentioned you know the lead that wobbles all over the place as well. I think um what's just as important as the type of press that you buy or the manufacturer of the press is how you mount it and what you mount it to. Um I've seen people mount it to thirty dollar you can eat our work workbenches and it's just just a no-go, right guys? Like you, you have to mount it to something that's solid. Solid, solid. Yeah,
1: it's gotta be on a solid mount and something big and heavy and bolted down so it's not gonna move or flex. Yeah, like I built, I built my own reloading
2: bench, um, and it's all built out of two by sixes, and you know it's got a two inch deck on it, so it, you know, it's not there's nothing that's going to move on there, right? So,
1: yeah, and I, I any think plywood that's, or anything. That's a big part of it. I think I, I'm on my I don't know third or fourth iteration of bench, and I think I finally settled on the design that I like. The next step will be to build a house around the bench you <laughs> move it all. able to move it to the next house? Well, that's like up until this point, I've been building benches because I've been living in homes that I don't own. And now that I live in a home that I don't that I do own, the next thing will be to move into a garage that I'm never leaving. And I'll just build the garage around the press. Makes sense. Bolt it right into the concrete.
0: Yeah, that's fair. So once you get the press, I guess we got to move on to step two after (laughs) 40 minutes in. Uh, So, yeah, step two, decapping and resizing with the brass. So, uh, decapping means removing the spent primer, and uh, resizing, you're just returning it to actual the original factory, or what they call the SAMI specs. What does SAMI stand for? Does anybody know? Can't remember?
1: The shooting are... No, it's in French. Um, (laughs) I should totally have this. The... I should totally have this. Sorry, we'll put an intern on it. (laughs) (laughs) Sporting Arms and Ammunition Manufacturers Institute. There There you you go.
0: Yeah, so every every cartridge has a semi-spec, so which includes like overall case length, the dimensions <laughs> of the uh, the brass, the bullet. Um, so when you run a, a piece of brass to the resizing die, it, it returns it to the original specs so it allows to you chamber in your rifle properly. So um, as far as dies, we mentioned a couple- Sorry, can I there. just stop you there
2: just for one second, yeah. Ian? Um, yeah. One thing I found when it comes to resizing um, is is I don't want to be second guessing my tools. Um, I've been at a stage in my life where I bought cheap tools. I'm going to, you know, like some Mastercraft tools and all that kind of stuff. And I'm specifically going to call out Mastercraft calipers that were probably $20 um, and they had zero consistency. Like I could take the same, steel rod and measure it three times and I would get a different size every time. Um, it's really worth investing in a good quality pair of calipers like tuyo you can get some that are actually certified. Um, they're gonna cost you around $150 or so, but you're not gonna question your tool. And when you're reloading and resizing brass and you're checking the sizes, if you're questioning your tool because you get a different size every time, that's not good. Buy a, buy a good set of digital calipers like uh, tuyo and you're not gonna question your tools. I just wanted to add that because I've made that mistake um, and I'm never going to make that mistake again. So,
0: I use the old dial calipers, like the actual mechanical ones, uh, just because, yeah, uh, well, we could say they're EMP-proof too for fun, but <laughs> honestly, I just, I just find them that uh, they're consistent, more consistent than the MasterCraft ones. Yeah, I, I did the MasterCraft thing uh, with dial calipers. I was going to talk about those later on. But yeah, they're inconsistent like you wouldn't believe. Uh, so I was like thinking I was doing something wrong, but in reality it was just the calipers that were all over the map. So
2: right. I mean when you're when you're checking the same same piece of brass three times and it's off by three thousandths of an inch every time, I, I can't my I can't do it. <laughs> so
1: yeah. I guess that's I mean outside well, I of the other knew. reloading tools that's worth mentioning is that the measuring aspect of this is vast. There's all kinds of things that can be measured. And measuring accurate measuring tools are going to cost a lot of money. Right. Yeah. Right. Like it doesn't, well, it doesn't matter think. if we're talking about powder throws or if we're talking about calipers or neck tensions or any of those things that measure because we're we're measuring things that are measured in ten thousandths of an inch or uh, a grain, which eight thousand grains in a pound, seven thousand grains in a pound, something like that. Right. That's, yeah. That's uh, we're, we're talking about very very fine measurements, so equipment that can accurately and repeatedly measure at those very fine increments is going to be expensive.
0: Yeah. I think in order to do this, you got to be about the OCD to begin with. So you don't right. want to, you know, send yourself into a tizzy cause you can't get an accurate measurement on anything. So,
2: and every once in a while. I mean, I will say every 50 rounds, I'll calibrate the equipment, um, just to be sure that it's still on spec. Right. Um, just, just getting into those habits as well. Right. So,
0: oh. so once you got the, uh, the, the press and the dies, uh, dyes come in various brands, uh, pick and choose what you like, get what you pay for. Uh, I, I use the RCBS. You, you said you're a Hornet guy, Andrew?
1: I am. Well, all not right. for dies, but for, for presses.
0: Yeah, I use uh, Dylan Carbide or the uh, RCBS dies. Uh, but the good thing is they're all threaded the same, with very few exceptions. There's a couple of exceptions out there. But for the most part, if you buy one brand of dies, they will work in a different brand of, of uh, single-stage press. As, uh, I can't remember the actual threading it's like seven fifteenths or 17 13 or something like that but anyways it's uh, it's all the same threading so uh it's the one thing they did right at least
1: interchangeability <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: so um yeah i was gonna mention that challenger press but that's like i escaped that i think so uh, yeah most uh, die sets come in either uh two die sets for rifles or three for pistols generally there's always exceptions of course uh rifle die number one basically resizes and deprimes the brass which means it knocks out the old use primer and then rifle die number two uh, pushes the bullet in and creeps it into place so we can talk about that later on Uh, anything else you guys want to talk about with dies
1: if you're going to get into precision spend the money on the three die set otherwise don't worry about your three die set for rifle yeah, and absolutely. also get all of the other fun dies. Get a dedicated decapping die from Lyman. It's great. You can't break it. Well, oh yeah, I not mine several <laughs> times. <but that's- laughs> I broke mine. Yeah. So
0: there's actually a, like a well, even Lee sends so sells one for twenty bucks. I think it's like a universal decapping die, and what that does is that just uh, it doesn't matter what size the cartridge is, it'll just not go with the old primer. And if you're picking up grass from the range, and it uh, has something we'll talk about later called a crimp in the in the primer pocket. You'll want to knock that out and take care of that before you start moving along, anyway. So, you know,
1: yeah, I like takes- to separate that that out. And there's there's a bunch of other stuff you can do with weird dies. There's uh, there's the kind that have the micrometers on top that you can set repeatable seating depths for bullet seating dies. Mm-hmm. Those are probably overkill unless you're doing like super crazy accurate reloading for long range stuff.
0: Oh, there's no shortage of toys to play with for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go get a set of. Quality carbide dies, Hornady, RCBS, Dillon, etc.
0: Yep. Then I say what well, the carbide dies is, is generally for pistol only? Uh, you don't need to lubricate them at all, if if not very little. But uh, for the most part, for rifle brass, if you're going to start resizing it, you have to lubricate it before you sub it into the uh, resizing die. Because if not, you're going to have a fun time getting that old brass out.
1: Um, Ian, I heard l- more lube is always better. Why does pistol dies not need lube?
0: <laughs> <laughs> more lube is always better, right? You can never go wrong with that. So, uh, when you're re- uh, lubing up your brass, you gotta lube the inside of the case neck as well. Uh, Hughes, do you have the, the case in front of you? Yeah, uh, right here. Just to show you what a case neck is. So, when you're uh, lubing, you gotta take care of that top part as well on the inside and the outside. Because yeah. that's basically what you're resizing more than anything else. Uh, yeah, if you get the case stuck in there, it'll be hours of fun getting that out.
1: Yeah. Buy the tool for that. There's a tool. Get get the right. uh, stuck brass remover tool. That's a $20 item that is definitely worth its weight in gold. Yeah, but at 11 o'clock on the day before a match, when you get one stuck in the die, you really don't... It's worth the 20 bucks. Go buy the tool.
0: Also, I uh, maybe it's just my OCD as well, but I usually have a couple sets of dies for each caliber, just uh, in case there's broken pins, broken parts, or whatever. You don't have to stop your whole reloading night because for some reason your die is offline.
2: That sucks. Good thing for collecting brass at the range too is a uh, brass uh, magnet. Uh, really cuts down on the amount of time to collect the brass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so yeah, brass not being magnetic. Uh, no I, yeah. It, I, I it remember takes-
2: we were we were well, I was I was fresh in the military um and we were at the range and when you're in military you have to collect your brass um and the instructors were leading some of my comrades to believe that they had magnets to pick up the brass and I was just shaking my head I was like come on guys really Well,
0: well the good news is is that it would separate the steel brass from the area that you can't reload.
2: Sure, but the military <laughs> only uses brass. Brass brass. brass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but if, if you go to every every like a public range you'll see lots of steel rusted out brass on the ground that can't be reloaded and it's also got the wrong primers on them just leave them alone and,
2: right just rusted. don't touch that stuff yeah yeah
0: um so anyways uh, no matter what you got i think you're gonna end up upgrading your stuff over time so uh be prepared for i guess the continued evolution of your collection for sure right i mean but you did mention getting a good reloading press right off the bat that definitely i would have to agree with that Uh, Moving on, case trimming. So uh, once you get the uh, brass resized and you get the old primer knocked out, you have to uh, trim down the original uh, length of the case down to the original spec as well because as you fire uh, shouldered bullets like uh, Hughes was showing on the screen there before, they do stretch out quite a bit, uh, quite a bit, meaning in a thousandth of an inch. But uh, basically that little part there is going to get a little longer than it originally was. So uh, there is some tools available. Uh, cheap and expensive to uh, trim uh, brass down. because the more money you spend, usually the faster the job will get done. Uh, there is a, uh, what do you use, Andrew?
1: Uh, little Crow Gunworks World's Finest Case Trimmer, which is a caliber specific tool that gets chucked into a drill or drill press or some other type of a motor. And you put the brass into it and it works like a little, uh, sort of like an end mill. I actually, I think it is just an end mill inside of a little, uh, like a little die. Yeah, that's exactly what I use, too.
0: So, I mean, they're not cheap. They they were really about, what, 60 Canadian or something like that, or maybe 90 Canadian.
1: Uh, people, one of us. Yeah, it, I think I uh, probably paid close to 100 bucks for mine.
0: Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it takes you maybe a second or two of just shoving that thing into the world's finest trimmer on the drill press, and it's done.
1: And then 30 the, seconds of cuddling. Oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's something else. But anyway, uh, where you get the lease system where you have to kind of mounted onto a drill press and kind of spin it around on this little this little pre-measured cutter and it takes you up to like 20 seconds per piece of brass so obviously the more money you spend the faster this will get done right I would say this is probably arguably one of the least enjoyable parts of reloading is getting case trimming down
1: my biggest complaint with the case trimming is I actually just can't listen to podcasts while I do it because the motors are always so damned loud yeah Okay, that's true. Right? Like usually I am in the shop and I have something on on the radio or on the listening to a podcast or whatever, and when I'm running Headphone. a yeah. uh, <laughs> drill presses are really loud. Yeah. Yeah, that's what headphones are for though too, right?
0: I was that's what I was used. actually the, the headset I'm wearing right now is what I was starting to use now with the uh, World Spice because I've got it in this old, old drill press. It's like belt fed and everything else. So it uh it's spinning vibrating and everything else and yeah, it's uh Loud, so so once you got it resized uh, you have to move on to the uh, final brass prep stage which actually uh, there's a lot of things to do um, so you've got the empty primer pocket which I don't think we can show anybody right now because I don't have any brass cases
2: I don't have an empty one but yeah, uh, you have to be, there's the primer
0: Yeah. so it's you have to MD uniform though. the primer pocket there you do? go oh, Yeah. It won't focus oh does Andrew got one?
2: yeah I think so yeah he does oh there he is there's, There's an empty primer area. pocket.
0: Yeah. yeah. There's not empty. And so, uh, basically, yeah, so first things first, like Andrew said, you might want to do this as a dedicated step earlier on, but you can remove the old uh, military crimp from the primer pocket, which uh, basically is a small, little, tiny, tiny ring of uh, brass that basically needs, was originally used to hold the primer in more securely, theoretically, but uh, it needs to be removed before you shove a new primer in there. Um, so you have to remove the crimp from the primer pocket. Uh, Uniform the depth of the primer pocket, which is called primer pocket uniforming, and um, I guess other than that, the primer pocket reaming, which kind of angles off the sides of the primer pocket, make it easier to put the primer back in, and uh, that's kind of a one-time thing, because once the primer pocket's reamed out properly, then you shouldn't have to do it again. Um, You have to clean the primer pocket out of the old gunk, so there's probably some leftover lead stiffnate and other stuff in there, burnt powder, whatever. Um, Yeah, so that's got to get cleaned out, you'll probably see a shiny uh, pocket afterwards. And then you have to uh, smooth out or what they call chamfer the inside and outside of the case neck. Uh, the actual case mouth to put the projectile back in there a little more easily. Uh, last, some people like to run a brush through the neck just to get rid of little brass bits uh, or make sure there's nothing left in there. Um, that's that's pretty much it for setting up your brass prep.
1: So I have a question for you about brass prep. Yep. Have you ever looked at a tool from Dylan called the Super Swage 600? Yes, I don't use it.
0: Uh, it's actually awesome because it uh, takes care of that military crimp right away. I went a little bit bubba on mine. <laughs> so okay. I've, I've got a uh, countersink bit in my drill press. And, um,
1: mm, that'll yeah, work too?
0: Yeah, so basically I take just a carpenter's countersink bit that allows you to pre, you know, pre-angle a hole in the wood for the uh, the screws. And basically it's spinning in the drill press, and I take the, uh, the brass and just gently shove it up there for about half a second. It takes care of the... Uh, the uh, crimp, uh, the military crimp off the primer pocket, probably takes a little bit more brass off than I should, but uh, it's not. It's as, probably uh, fine. It's probably fine. And so, yeah, I've been using that so far because I just don't want to spend the hundred and some odd bucks for a super sweet shock dylan. Although those are things are pretty awesome too.
1: So that would be my if you're going to pick up a lot of crimped brass and reuse it, particularly this is common with with five five six two two three brass. If you have access to military surplus brass of some variety that's typically where you see the crimp is on on military brass on 556 five, brass if you have five gallon pails full of it strongly recommend spend the 110 us buy the dylan Sup- super swage 600 it makes your life way easier if you're going to do two or three it's not worth it if you're going to do a bucket full of them though makes life way better yeah i mean even the- Primer pocket
0: reamer theoretically can get rid of that crimp, but it's it's a little bit more time intensive, a lot more effort to, to get it on there. A lot
1: uh, more, lot more work as someone yeah. with access to do military surplus brass allegedly, and allegedly. Uh, bucket loads to go through. Doing it all on a little electric device versus doing it in the super swage. The super swage is way faster.
0: Oh yeah, no, for sure. I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, there are these case prep centers available that have like little, you know, a set of spinning heads that actually each spinning head has a specific tool on it for all the stuff we just mentioned. So uh, you can just go around the little circle of uh, the spinning heads, and one will like actually uh, read your primer pocket, the other one will uniform it, then will clean it out, and everything else. Um, they do save a lot of time. Uh, or there are hand tools available to do all this stuff, but it depends on how much time you want to spend on your hobby, I guess, right?
2: I guess it comes down to a volume thing again, right? So. If you're reloading 308 precision, you're doing 20, 40 rounds a month. um, Then it's probably not worth it. But yeah, if you're doing high volume five, five, six, then yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. So once the brass prep is uh, all done, you're actually ready to start reloading. Took us an hour to get here, but we'll, we'll get her done here. So, (laughs) uh, to actually make the ammo, you have to uh, reprime and drop a powder charge into the brass. So, uh, Primers go in the bottom of the case. Uh, Andrew showed the empty pocket there before. So uh, the primer comes in various forms. It's specific to either, you know, large or small rifle, uh, large or small pistol. There are some other uh, primers out there like for like uh, pistol magnums and rifle magnums and stuff. But generally there's four main ones. Um, There's various brands available. I try and use the same brand all the
1: time. I
0: don't know if you guys have a preference for brands at all.
1: CCI. They're consistent next door nicely.
0: Oh, so that makes a, a, a three for on that one. We all use CCI brands. Uh, I find them consistent. Uh, they definitely withstand uh, semi autos very well. Some subprimers are really soft. Um, and there is a possibility of setting off the, the round accidentally with the, the loose firing pins on some semi autos. I um, haven't, haven't heard of it happening, but they say it's a thing. So, anyway, uh, uh, powder, it's uh, bought by the pound generally and measured in grains. We tried about 7,000 grains per pound. Uh, most of your uh, charges for the bullets are going to be measured in grains. Um, I don't know when they're not, but, anyways, that's that's how they're measured.
1: If you wanted so, to convert to carrots,
0: carrots or grams. Some people do my, use micrograms over in Europe and stuff. And Actually, grams, yeah, it's, it's
1: super common in Europe to measure powder charges in grams. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Not for us, though. We're still like, biometrical. We still use uh, imperial measurements for a lot of stuff. So
1: Yeah, like grains. So, a super common imperial measurement.
0: <laughs> exactly. You know, happens all the time.
1: I 800, 800 stone and 6 grain
0: <laughs> I get 13 farthings to the yard arm, and that's the way I like it. Anyway, uh, yeah, to prime your brass, there are hand primers available, so uh, you can get primer tools available for your single stage press. Uh, I, uh, I've used everything from the Lee Auto Prime, which is a handheld primer thing, to uh, actually ones that, you know, push the primer right from the bottom. Dylan. Progressive presses, the, uh, as, as one of the, the stages, after they knocked out the old primer, they almost immediately shove a new primer in, which is fine for pistol and stuff, but sometimes with rifle, you want to clean that primer pocket out before you let it do that. Um, but there's a thousand different ways to prime these things. As a prepper, it's always nice it to have at least two ways of doing it, right?
2: Nothing. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah, so anyways, once you've got your uh, primer back in, you're going to want to uh, add powder. Uh, which is probably the most critical uh, thing to take care of and, and uh, research on. So you need low data to determine how much powder to use safely. Uh, you also uh, need a means to measure your powder charge. You can't just fill the case up at the top and say, good to go. Wait, what? Hilarity, you can't? Really? Yeah, hilarity. hilarities going to ensue <laughs> otherwise, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, so the powder dispensers, they come in volumetric or uh, and dispenser scale types, I guess. Uh, so there's like everything from just a powder drop where it has a volumetric preset amount that you can adjust. This drop out the same volume of powder every time. There's ones that heck she can uh, spin out a little powder charge onto a scale and, and do it right down to the tenth of a grain. Um, obviously, the more you spend, the more, more toys you're going to get with that, too, right?
1: Yes. And if anyone has an extra 400 bucks kicking around, I would love an RCBS Charge Master. <laughs> <laughs> you want it to donate $400 like- to the show? <laughs>
0: Email us at, uh, yeah, actually I have the Hornady auto charge. I got it on sale last Christmas, uh, on Amazon. They had them blow it for $190. It was crazy. Wow. Um, and so yeah, for stuff like that, it's fantastic. Uh, so I rolled up my birthday and Christmas together and pooled some cash and got her done.
2: Yeah. Cause those are like 450 bucks. Uh, yeah,
0: usually. it was just, there's a crazy blowout price. So, um, wow. it took a, it took like six weeks to get here via the U S postal service, but that's fine. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I use a digital scale for a lot of, uh, uh, single rifle charges, but they're, uh, they're pretty sensitive. Like even if you walk around the room or if you have overhead fluorescent lights, uh, a slight breeze on them, you can have the, the scale kind of go up and down. Cause it like sits on tenths of a grain. So it, uh, it can get pretty crazy. There are beam scales to measure your powder with, uh, Old school. I actually bought an old Redding beam scale from uh, the local gun show that last uh, last month, and it's oil dampened, so it actually slows down a lot faster. It's kind of neat. Um, yeah, cost is usually the same for these uh, either these uh, auto charges or uh, anything else to do it. If you get a super duper expensive beam scale, you probably need just as much money if you really wanted to, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. The thing to the thing to bear in mind with the beam scales is the uh, the teeth over time may wear. They have to be repointed it's just like keeping a sh- saw sharp or anything else right like the it's little ridges so over time those those can wear and give you less accurate powder charges but in in general beam scales pretty hard to screw up yeah
0: well of course keeping with that the motif that the beam scales again are emp proof so uh <laughs> but the digital scales get you way point. more accuracy um, if you need to fine-tune a powder load, there's also something called a powder trickler. that will allow you to like almost add it by the particular grain of powder and uh, fine-tune your loads if you're not happy with the results from your volum- volumetric dispenser. Um, I have an F-class buddy that does that. He just basically hand trickles all of his charges, which is a little bit of OCD, but
1: that's okay. It's the right kind of OCD, though. That's right.
0: So in order to know how much powder to put in, uh, you got to consult with the... Uh, you know, actual reloading, uh, manuals. So, um, reloading manuals can be found anywhere, Amazon, Cabela's, any gun store. Um, yeah, reloading manuals, usually specific to bullet manufacturers. So, uh, for myself, I use a lot of r and bullets. So I bought the r and book of reloading and they come in various uh, versions as new bullet types come out, but they're going to provide you with the, uh, cartridge overall length. If for some reason you don't know what it is, um, how much powder to put in there. Um, uh, how short to trim your brass ahead of time because uh, you can't have it just a max factory length uh, because there's always tolerances plus or minus. You might have brass too long to fit in your rifle. might not chamber properly. Uh, it'll give you starting and your maximum powder loads. Yeah, Piece of advice I, would, uh,
1: I would start with that. I also have the Hornady book because Hornady, but I've been using Hornady bullets and all that good stuff. So, Find the book that has your bullets and powder. And also the internet is not a bad place to look, although I would not Google what to use. I would go to the powder manufacturer's website. A lot of the popular powder manufacturers, Hodgton, IMR, their websites have basic load data on their site to give you a starting point if it's not in the book. Or I like to compare the book to what the powder manufacturer says to see if the bullet manufacturer and the powder manufacturer look like they line up to give me that, that starting reference don't get your yeah. information off forms
2: or internet troll boards it just just go to the manufacturer site yeah 100 yeah. uh, percent.
1: it's worthwhile to go to the manufacturer site don't just google what should i load in my nine millimeter that's not going to get you a good result but if you're going to load are- uh, if you're going to load hogden powder go to Hodgdon's website and look up your powder
0: yeah I mean, no matter what they say, they get will give you a minimum and maximum powder load. Don't go with the maximum right off the bat because rifles are different across this, across the board. So start with your either your minimum or a uh, a certain percentage off the top, whatever you're comfortable with. Work your way up, to say the least. Uh, different rifles have different accurate results with different loads. So I mean, that's why the they say about reloading is you can uh, adjust your powder load to what works best for your rifle.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that people go out and start trying to build the most accurate precision rifle F class bench rest load ever the first time that they use the, the hand loading tools. That's probably not a recipe for success. Right. Yeah, I think, think
0: shooting, some, shooting cheap is a good way to start.
1: Yeah, go and load some cheap 9mm. Yeah. Pretty hard to screw up straight wall cases. Start with something easy. Yeah, so like, uh,
0: well, 357, although 9mm theoretically is tapered, it's basically a straight wall. 45. It's treated um,
2: treated as a straight wall. Yeah, Straight wall, yeah. 40, 38, um, all that stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, so anything like that is super easy to way to start. Um, but there are some symptoms that if you are putting too much powder in your uh, cartridge for whatever, you might notice the primer is popping on the back.
1: That's a definite sign of overpressure, so keep an eye on it. If it doesn't I'm look normal, it would be really, really bad. There, you're yeah. see stuff before you before you prop pi- before you pop primers you're going to see some other things primer primers coming out would be a, a very bad day yeah that's what i'm saying so um, do, uh, do you want to describe what primer flattening would look like
0: well i can uh, basically if you push the primer in too far uh, there's a problem there as well you're going to uh, affect the efficacy of the primer and uh, that might not even work at all, I guess, theoretically. Oh, I I
1: mean for for overpressure, if you see primer flattening. Yeah, go for it if you want to. So, I mean, it's what it sounds like. Normally, if you look at a fire case, you're going to see the the divot from the firing pin. Uh, Flattened primers, the contour on the edge of the primer around where the the edge of the primer pocket is will look like it's flush. Normally, the, the edge of the primer should look sort of tapered. So it's not um, flat. If the primer has been struck and you have the divot and it looks flat, you're getting flattening. That would be the first, one of the first observable signs of overpressure. You'll get that before you get popped primers. Uh, the other thing you're gonna observe at about the same time that you start getting prop- popped primers is split cases. That's also bad. You shouldn't be having ruptured cases. Well, that's also something we forgot to mention too. When you're when you're picking up your brass off the range, if there's any sort of cracks
0: or anything else, don't use it. Yeah, uh, that's either means it's been used too many times, or it's it's gone through some overpressure issues. Um, yeah, there's uh,
1: there's two different kinds of uh, of of rupture that you'll see. Uh, either uh, parallel with the body of the cartridge, so like between the bullet and the primer, you'll see uh, the the side of the case, either at the case neck or in the case body, will have a fissure in it. That's that's bad. That's from overpressure. The other thing you'll see is uh, case head separations. So that's parallel to the case head. So the the bottom of the case where the primer goes into, you'll start to see that change color. Um, it it looks like um, like machine wear on the on the brass. It starts to change color and look like it's been overworked. It's difficult to describe what that looks like, but it, it's too shiny. And you'll see that all the way around the uh, the the diameter of the case, all the way around the outside of the case. Or parallel to the, uh, the case head where the, the cartridge stamping information is, you'll start to see that separate and that's because the brass has started to overwork. When Ian talked earlier about trimming brass, what happens when the brass is fired is the, blast, the brass will flow, it's not a metallurgically accurate term, but the brass will flow forward into the path of leafs resistance. The brass will want to travel down the barrel during overpressure because the brass is being forced to expand. And then rapidly contract after firing but some of that brass works forward that's why the neck gets lengthened that's why the brass needs to be trimmed over time And where that brass is coming from is where the brass is thicker in the cartridge case which is the case web which is that part of the brass that's right above the the case head case head separation is bad you don't want that um eventually extractors will start ripping case heads off of cartridges yay autism (laughs) (laughs) That's,
0: that's what this show is all about today so, or at least it's Asperger syndrome, uh, supposedly itself with OCD. But um, yeah, so you mentioned the mainstream powders, uh, like Conscience, IMR brand. I love them because the fact they have great online resources available. Um, they're also probably able to be found pretty much anywhere. Um, at my local store, they everybody carries them. So that's nice. Uh, you order them online uh, as well through Cabela's. Um, yeah, so I, if you're going to start out, just start with that, uh, like a more mainstream brand than some obscure stuff. I do believe they're offering some uh, Chinese made powders and primers on certain stores. I'm not sure but I don't buy those.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm not I would I would stick with a, a, a well known, well published North American or European made powder. Hodgden, IMR, and I will butcher the spelling but the Lapua powder, Vituri Virit.
2: Vituri say that?
1: Yes, yeah. them. It's yeah. Finnish. Glurping, Gleben, yeah. Gloppen, etc. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that song. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh,
0: it's, it's finished. I've never used that stuff at all, but yeah, it's out there. Alliance. There's, there's also other brands, but I'd say those Hodges IMR is probably the way to go. Um, next, last step, I guess coming up. So, uh, CD and the bullet, tripping it into place. Um, his next last step. So seating basically involves pushing the bullet far enough in to be less than the max cartridge overall length or coal as they would like, like to call it in the reloading book. Um, so once you see the bullet, you might have to crimp it into place. So I don't suppose you guys got a, a loose round there, do you?
2: I don't know. Just uh,
0: okay. the brass. So crimp is uh, pinching the brass basically onto the bullet uh, for lack of a better, simpler term. Um, you don't need to crimp a bullet. Uh, unless you either have a candler, which is like the rigid ring on the projectile, or if you had to slightly uh bail out or expand the brass during resizing for pistol brass, uh, then you're gonna definitely to need to squish it back into place. Um, some people don't uh, crimp at all, some people have to crimp the living daylights out of it. It's all personal preference and I guess results oriented.
1: Question or yeah, comments it, on that? I mean. Uh the more it's crimped, the higher the operating pressure will be, and that's a factor that'll come into play with your reloading, because operating pressures matter. So the, the more the more crimped, the higher the pressure is going to be before the bullet's released. Two, two kinds of crimping to be aware of, roll crimping and taper crimping. They work differently. They do the same thing. Uh, if you're going to have a dedicated crimping station on a progressive press, I would strongly recommend for pistol cartridges looking at taper crimp dies Particularly the Lee die, actually. The factory taper crimp die from Lee is actually very good. Uh, Other other than that, crimping is one of those things you have to sort of try and adjust. If you don't crimp 5.56, for example, the recoil from firing the rifle may dislodge the bullets that are still in the cartridges in your magazine prior to firing. You have not used enough crimp. You can also cause extremely high pressures... Too much crimp it's true good point yep
0: so that's it you made it through the reloading process so the last step is the fun one to uh so to unload the bullets just really squeeze the trigger to start the whole process over again.
1: what we're not going to talk about like kinetic and uh <laughs> the other kind of polar kinetic and uh oh, call yeah. it. no that's not it no what's I think the one we'll, you uh... put in the press <laughs> oh we mean
0: uh, to uh, to unload it uh, as far as like uh, if you screw up or whatever
1: yeah yeah, yeah the, 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 the kinetic puller and uh is it call it polar the one that goes in the press
0: yeah so you're gonna
1: you're gonna screw yeah. it up at some point get, get those yeah so if you actually
0: do screw up your uh, your, your cartridge making you guys you know down the road you made 50 cartridges with way too much powder in them or maybe you somehow didn't put powder in them which does occasionally happen i've now, seen but, that happen um, Yeah, so there's a kinetic puller, which basically looks like a glorified hammer. Uh, So basically, it allows you to place the cartridge inside this uh, cavity, inside this hammer-looking thing, and you give it a couple wraps on a solid surface, not wood. Wood doesn't work, more like a a rock hardness type of thing. Concrete floors, and uh, just gentle taps, it'll eventually squeeze the bullet out, or knock the bullet out. And then the uh, the collet puller is actually, like, use your reloading press to, I guess, gently grip the bullet while you remove it. And uh, usually, it makes the bullet reusable still.
1: Yeah, the collet puller should leave a small surface mark that shouldn't cause any performance issues, and the connect puller shouldn't leave any marks. But the connect puller tends to be messier because it will throw powder all over the effing place. Right. Yeah.
2: Don't put your rounds in a vice and use vice grips on a bullet eater. Don't do that stuff. You're just going to ruin everything. Yeah. Don't don't do that. Seen people do that too. Don't do that.
0: So the one question I had from a couple of listeners was where to source equipment and, uh, reloading components. So that's not an easy answer, but I didn't mention, the uh, inter- to shop. yeah, the interwebs is a thing, but, uh, shop around. I mean, uh, there's no rush to get a lot of this stuff. So if you uh, wait for sales, like black Friday is kind of famous for having sales on all this stuff, uh, wait for the sales and stock a deep to maximize your savings. That's one way to do it. Um,
1: I mean, your local gun shop is probably a good place to start. You'll find a lot of gun shops have or can get reloading components. Depending on your shop, there may or may not be a premium with that, so... I got uh,
2: yeah, I got my Dylan Progressive uh, from Cabela's last year. They had a sale on it. It was like two hundred bucks off. Um, and then sometimes I'll I'll look at the points on my credit card, and I'll just I'll just get a gift card for 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 Cabela's. Um, last year I got one for five hundred bucks, so I put that towards the press. And press really didn't cost me all that much, right? But um, you can find some pretty good deals online for that kind of stuff too. Like um, Ian mentioned, there's some stuff on on Amazon um, if you just keep an eye out there's a lot of really really a lot of reloading stuff on Amazon that you can get pretty cheaply uh, and, and, and eBay as well.
0: Yeah. So for uh, projectiles powder and primers, again, a uh, budget shooter supply here in the Vancouver area, he's uh, really good, um, ships by can because of the, uh, powder primers being theoretically dangerous goods. So they uh, they can't use Canada post, um, Cabela's and Bass Pro, uh, what they do you have sales on quite a bit? Uh, projectile prices are never really that good though. Um, there's a place called Fast Toys Performance in Winnipeg that sells the uh, locally made Camper bullets from Canada here. Uh, not a bad price, not great, but a bad local gun store you mentioned. Uh, we talked about black sheep brass, uh, selling pre-prepped brass. It saves a lot of time at least. And then yeah, uh, uh, last uh, but not quick, Go
1: ahead. I was going to say shout out to uh, my local-ish gun store, Select Shooting Supplies. Go say hi to Dean. Buy Camper bullets and projectiles and powders, and he's a full-line Dillon dealer now. Also, so if you're if you're in southern Ontario go, go to Select Shooting Supplies but also wherever you are go to your local store because it's probably going to be cheaper to buy powder than have it shipped to you because the hazmat fees suck yeah That's a good boy, yeah.
0: yeah I mean uh, and Dean from Select he's been a pretty good uh, representative of the shooting sports industry for a long time and he's he's gone through his his, uh, his episodes lately with some crazy customers so he yeah he, he needs a good shout out for sure uh, projectiles and brasses so uh, yeah if you want to get some uh, cheaper like used presses uh, brass or projectiles usually somebody's got a bunch of projectiles on clear on uh, Canadian Gunness's equipment exchange uh, usually get a set of dyes there for 30 bucks as well um, try not to buy powder primers off CGN because you don't know what they've done with that open container of powder but uh, also the shipping costs like Andrew mentioned, are going to kill you if you try and get somebody to ship shipping primers and powder <laughs> off CGN Yeah,
1: primer and powder, I would say, is a thing that you probably want to try and get locally. Maybe you can get online for a deal, but you can probably get it cheaper local just because the the shipping costs on Hazmat is going to suck. Bullets are also heavy. So, again, if you can source those locally or if you can find them for somebody on sale. uh, If you're me and you're buying Lapua, you don't have a choice. There's like three places you can buy Lapua because they all come from the same distributor. There's not a lot of options. If you're looking at other stuff like your, uh, your Campro, super quality IpsyC nine mil bullet. Just buy wherever we're selling campro because they're all going to be the same price. I also um
2: I had a couple buddies that went in and bought a uh triwall of um once-used military brass off uh, CG nice. sur- surplus. Um, it was expensive because, I mean, the, just the price of brass to recycle is expensive, but it was all 5.56, five, and it was a tri-wall that was a, a, a couple hundred pounds of brass. So um, not saying that's the way to start off, but that was a really good deal.
0: Yeah, I've seen those on the government surplus site where they have, like, yeah, literally, you mentioned, like, buy the pallet load um, of yeah. brass. Don't they have to denil some of those, or is that... Um- uh,
1: supposed to already be demilled because it's been fired. It's scrap metal. But be careful if you're buying on the GC website. Make sure it's not listed as machine gun fired brass. C9s are very, very hard on brass. Right. This was all,
2: yeah. So the stuff that they, that they bought was all fired out of the C7s and C8s. Um, and they had some some NATO 9 mil as well, Uh casings. So.
1: Yeah. So they made it okay. They made it okay. Just because, yep. you will know, usually listed if it's machine gun fire brass, like it'll say that in the description on the GC website. Yeah, and I think don't, don't uh, buy the machine gun fired brass.
2: The GC surplus side, they used to sell like it used to be like you had to buy ten pallets of brass, which was like an un- rid- ridiculous amount of money. Um, now they're actually splitting it up into like single pallets or single triwalls of brass because they know that reloaders want to buy this stuff as opposed to somebody buying ten pallets for the recycling costs of it, right? So, yeah, so yeah. that's good.
0: Yeah, so I mean, if you're gonna start out, I guess uh, just try to stick with the same random bullets as often as he can like well i think andrew you mentioned it as well but i mean like Hornady bullets for myself i you know forget it, whether it be for hunting or whatever you want to use it for um that way you have to use you don't have to use as many reloading data books um,
1: well, I and that, pretty- that's part of the other thing with this is when you go through and you start building up a load that you and your gun are happy with you don't want to keep messing around with it so yeah. being able to like for plinking ammo i just always load Campro 223 or 9 mil just it's cheap it's consistent it has some amount of tolerance batch to batch but like it's 147 grain 9 millimeter cam pro is basically 147 grain every time yeah more you get one heavy one you get one light one now and then but like they're they're reasonably consistent for what they are for the price that you're paying and then you don't have to mess around with reloading Recipes and changing things, and same thing with powder and primer. Like, find the one that works. Buy it in bulk. Just keep using that one. If you want to mess around and play with stuff, yeah, okay, go nuts. Buy a hundred of that primer, a hundred in this primer. But like, then you get into this whole—you're not reloading to shoot anymore. Now you're reloading to reload because now you've developed yourself a new hobby. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. And if you want to expand the hobby, you can always cast your own bullets too, right?
1: Well, and then, and this is what I mean, like, you get into this whole There's all this other stuff with reloading. You can talk about neck turning and fire forming and chamfering and getting a zero ed trimmer. And there's all this other stuff that you can do. And there's lots of rabbit holes to go down. You could start with something simple, like relatively straight wall cases, like pistol cartridges. Yeah. Absolutely. So get into all the other fun rabbit holes. <laughs> so for the uh, for more information,
0: I put a couple of YouTubers on there. Uh, there's a couple guys that do a lot of reloading on YouTube. Uh, there's actually a reloading podcast out there called the Reloading Podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to that, uh, Fortune Cookie 45 lc I watch a lot of his stuff on, online for reloading. There, but you know, basically if you're looking to reload a certain caliber, just Google reloading whatever caliber, put it on YouTube and you'd be shocked what you find. There's tons kind of stuff out there.
1: Yeah. Do you have any book recommendations for people that are more readers rather than YouTubers? Well, as far as uh, nobody's putting out
0: too many like show books on reloading, there's the ABCs of reloading. I remember it was a good one, but that's old now. I mean,
1: that's, what was that published back in the 60s or 70s? 60s or know. 70s, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I have the like sixth edition of that book, and it's I learned how to reload on that book because I didn't know anybody that reloaded when I started. Yeah. I so, got that
0: one and uh, I ended up not using it as much as yeah, I'm learning how to do uh, stuff on YouTube actually, but uh, yeah, the ABCs of reloading. There's a couple other ones, but I, I can't even tell what they are anymore. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's always a, when you get these latest book on reloading, like Hornady, they have a couple articles at the front, but basically it's just for load data. It's not actually a, a book on reloading.
1: Yeah, I would I would start with the ABCs of reloading, and get your YouTube, and get a couple of uh, get a couple of manufacturers' books. The, uh, the Lyman book is not bad. The Hornady book is very good. The spear book is very good. The Sierra book is reasonable for their bullets. Get a couple books. Yeah. So I put a list of uh, tools and
0: equipment needed on the show notes there that people can refer back to. The one thing we did talk about was uh, a bonus item chronograph. Um, Some people want to verify what they're actually getting versus what the recipe told them they're gonna get for speed. But that will probably come down the road with people trying to do more precision stuff, I would imagine, right?
1: Yeah, when you get into competition, not even precision stuff, uh, if you're going to load for handgun, if you're doing competitive action handgun sports like IPSC or IDPA, you have to meet a certain power factor threshold. So you will need to be able to tell how fast your bullet is going and know you can't eyeball it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: well, power factor is a combination of bullet weight, speed, and I can't remember, something else involved wasn't there? Caliber, I guess.
1: No, nah, bullet weight and speed. Yeah, uh, that's so, so, Okay.
0: So you have to be a minimum power factor in order to be, uh, I guess, uh, a legal competitor or else they just disregard
1: your results. That's correct, right? Yeah, you're shooting for fun, which there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to spend all that money, you may as well go through the process make sure you're shooting ammunition that meets the requirements. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, most of the stuff we mentioned is uh, one-time buys that last for life. So, uh, and we mentioned that most of the presses have some sort of lifetime warranty. Um, I like Dylan's because basically no questions asked when I got my press it was actually missing a couple parts I just phoned him up it I think the longest part of the conversation was me establishing my first customer number and then after that they start sending you stuff for free which is nice um, down the road if your press gets completely worn out they'll actually recondition and rebuild your press for a, uh, a fee um, but that's you'd have to go through thousands and thousands of rounds for that to
1: happen yeah, my experience with Hornady has been the same. If I have anything that breaks or wears out, I call them and they ship me usually half a dozen of whatever it is. Yeah. So I've, I've broken poles and I've broken springs and I've broken the the primer feeder on my Hornady it seems to be particularly fussy. But I think that I have three spares now because the last time I broke one, they just sent me a box full.
2: Nice.
0: Well, I even bought some used RCBS dies off CTN there and uh, one of them had a to rod just spent that was swell. So I phoned up RCBS, told them what happened. and They didn't sell the local RCBS parts at uh, Cabela's or any of the local gun stores or anything. So I phoned them up down the States, told them what I needed. They're like, oh, we'll just give you one of those under warranty. And so same day, it was in the mail, and it was in my house in three days across the border. It's amazing. So,
1: yeah. And I told and them
0: a you think- set, and I wasn't the original owner and everything, they're like, yeah, that's fine.
1: Yeah, lifetime. And for them, it's lifetime. And I think that's true of all, almost all of the, the press and part manufacturers. I don't think I think so. I yeah. can't think of anybody that doesn't have some sort of unconditional or very limited conditional lifetime warranty. Hornady, Dylan, RCBS, they'll all, if you call them, you get new stuff. Uh, Lee, I understand, does that, although I do not buy Lee components to be able to confirm that. Well,
0: you got a couple of Lee things floating around at my house, but uh, only because they didn't know any better. So I, and I was able to actually sell a lot of the stuff off just to other uh, new reloaders so they can get at least something to start with. Yeah, it's definitely something you're not going to keep. But, well, I guess it's time to move on to the podcast challenge. Uh, let's see here. It's funny, Eric hasn't joined us yet. So the uh, podcast challenge this week is uh, just to cost it out to see if it works for you. So I threw a uh, reloading cost calculator into the show notes here, uh, which will allow you to plug in you know powder, primer, projectile costs, uh, which will allow you to compare the cost per round with what you're paying and how much spare time you have to determine uh, what your time is worth and maybe see if this is uh, actually something you want to get into, it's just not for everybody. I mean, some people don't have the time or don't have the uh, patience for the fine fine work required, I guess, or the detail-oriented work. But uh, i definitely say if a takeaway for this one is the less common calibers with the higher round usage, like you know, we talked about the Mauser or whatever. Um, if you're burning through a lot of those, this might be for you, so. Or precision stuff, like we mentioned, right?
1: Oh, and then there's all kinds of other toys to buy on top of Ian's suggested list in the show notes.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Like the
1: basic list. I mean... Have yeah. you heard about our Lord and Savior neck tension? No? <laughs> well, you're going to spend a couple hundred dollars on tools for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, there, oh, it's just like anything else. Like, there's no, no limit to the amount of money you can spend doing this, and before you know it, you've got, like, an auto-everything, so... <laughs> Yeah, episode closing, guys. Well, uh, see here. I got the Great British Columbia Shakeout coming up on uh, October seventeenth at ten seventeen a.m. Um, mentioned this last week. It's basically a government-sponsored kind of uh, earthquake preparedness event. The website's horrible, but the, the intentions are good. So I just thought i to throw it out. There. Shoutouts, Andrew.
1: I'm going to give my wife a shout out. Cause she puts up with my ridiculous hobbies and allows me time <laughs> in the garage to make all of the ammo that I shoot every year.
0: And she allows you to come on extra podcaster. we to do.
2: Yes. <laughs> no shout outs for me this week. I'm good.
0: All right. I got uh, two, uh, two of them, one for the 90 year old man trapped in the 35 year olds body. Uh, he knows who he is. Uh, he's a stealth prepper. It turns out I was actually kind of nice to hear. Um, so, yeah, uh, fantastic. I'm glad he's, he's on the program. Uh, yesterday's co-worker was a surprise, too. He, uh, he's going to start listening as of tonight, so hopefully he comes back for more episodes of the uh, Prepper Goodness for dispensing here. Uh, iTunes reviews, we're still at uh, the one four-star and one one-star that's bugging Eric so much. 34 five-stars. Uh, we got a nice, long, lengthy uh, letter here. Hughes, do you want to read this one out?
2: Yes, you want me to?
0: Yeah, Please.
2: Okay, so it says, Hi guys, I'm a fairly new listener. Uh, I've been listening to the other CPP for several months now and have recently been uh, getting caught up uh, on uh, getting caught up back on your catalog. So far, I love the show and have been learning lots from each episode. I never really consider myself a prepper, but the more I listen to you guys, the more I realize I've been prepping for years. I work in highway construction, which which has me living out of a trailer and constantly moving around BC and Alberta, as well as trips to Ontario and back over. Uh, back every year to visit family. Um, this has, of course, led me to various truck and trailer breakdowns. And with each new one, new tools and equipment have been added to the toolbox to make it quicker and easier next time. I now have given, uh, an, I now at any given time have the tools in my truck to repair just about anything that could happen as long as I can find the parts. Uh, Also two spare tires for the trailer because two is one and one is none, uh, which is a prepper rule. Most recently I had a wheel bearing fail. Uh, Partway through a 10 hour drive was able to replace it and continue with just four hour delay. Uh, I started on keto and IF back in January and I've since lost 60 pounds, congratulations. Um, I've also seen many of the same personal improvements in my everyday life. Uh, that you all described in the Keto episode. Uh, I've been using NordVPN for over a year. I am admittedly slacking on the IFAK front, but I'm working uh, working on rectifying that. Uh, I'm planning on getting into reloading soon as I can afford the initial setup. Uh, I've been saving brass forever, uh, and I'm also planning on doing the amateur radio operator exam during the off-season this winter as well. Anyways, back on topic, the most recent podcast challenge. Um, I have attached my picture of my Dakota jacket, and I'm comfortable sleeping in it. Recently purchased from Mark's Work Warehouse for sale at $69, if I remember correctly. Uh, And then a classic snap-on toque uh, that previously belonged to my grandfather. I've slept uh, in this already. Um, I've not yet purchased, purchased a sleeping bag uh, as I'm currently working in a somewhat remote area, but will be hitting up surplus stores as soon as I return to civilization. So in lieu have a sleeping bag, here are the insulated overalls I purchased before this trip at a PV Mart uh, for $129.99. And I have a. I have other pairs of the same overalls that I've slept in while hunting as well as during cross-country drives in winter but needed new ones because, well, keto. Hopefully this long-winded email will make uh, up for lack like, of sleeping bag and still grant me entry into the contest. The grill looks pretty awesome. Keep up the great work. Sam.
0: Samuel Clemens. I loved his books. They were great. <laughs> so, <laughs> thanks, man. I'm uh, starting to get I uh, need a drink of water before we get on to this next one. So, I got one from the uh, Traveling Prepper who tells me that uh, he ended up going with Arc'teryx jackets. He said, sorry, Ian, because I did mention that don't go with Arc'teryx and go with SERP, but he, okay, so he went with Arc'teryx. I like having equipment that I use often and not packed away in the closet, never to be used. It's a waste of money. So therefore, I elected to go with a modular system for a winter jacket. I chose the Arc'teryx Alpha LT as an outer shell layer. It's Cortex, so waterproof and breathable. This shell keeps the wind and elements away from the inner thermal layer, which is downfield with Arcterix Thorium Puffy. Combined together, it creates a warm winter jacket. Separated, I can use the shell year round as a rain jacket or wear everywhere jacket. If hiking or shelter building in the winter, wearing both or a dedicated parka can be much too hot. There, you have the ability to layer down. The shell's color is a dark muted navy blue. The inner layer is just black. Gray Man Theory was in mind for the color choice, as neon red would stick out both in the woods and in the city. Overall, the cost for the two jackets came below that of an equivalent of quality winter parka. In addition, I have a year long use out of them as opposed to just one season. Cheers from the Traveling Prepper. Well, he's got a good point there, I guess. Uh, rather than getting the uh, uh, uh jacket, he's uh, going with the uh, layer system, which is nothing wrong with that either, right?
2: Makes sense.
0: Yeah. And that's about it. Uh, I think it's time for the outro. So I guess I have to bring uh, episode 38 of the Kane Prepper podcast to an end. You can find the uh, podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out. Take a few minutes to submit a review. It helps other people find us. You can also find us at pepperpodcast.ca and on Facebook. Uh, you can reach me directly by emailing me at theidentretreat
2: at gmail.com. And we record these shows on StreamYard if you want early peek at the shows. please subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, Canadian Prepper Podcast and click on the Notifications tab. This gives you alerts uh, when we're going live. Um, and You can reach me, Hughes, at uh, hfxprepper at gmail.com and I've got my own YouTube channel as well which is uh, hfxprepper if you just search that on YouTube.
1: Normally you can find me at Canadian Patriot Podcast. We have a website. Listen to us on iTunes, etc. Et um, for my favorite author, if you need knifeac, or if you're not Sam Clemens and you just want knifeac, check out RagnarokTactical.ca. Use the discount code PATRIOT at checkout. I don't have any tourniquets right now, though, TACOM and stuff. We'll get more, I promise.
0: All right. So if Eric was here, he would tell you to please check out rapidsurvival.com and uh, email him at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca while still buying prepper gear at Rapid Survival. So thanks for joining us and tune in for the next episode when we're going to be talking about, finally, uh, firearms legal defense. So until next time, be prepared, stay safe and it's up to you, Hughes.
2: Have a great night. (laughs) Works for me. I don't know. (laughs)